Hey everyone, uh, this is Flogcast, July 30th, 2017. It's been a long week here um, in Flog Studios. Um, we actually wrapped up last week's episode where we covered the repeal efforts of uh, the Senate on the healthcare bill to repeal Obamacare. And we kind of wrapped that episode thinking that, you know, this thing was kind of done. Um, Mitch McConnell was dead and buried and his career had ended in uh, extravagant flames. And we were really kind of pleased with ourselves. Um, By the time that episode actually went live, they had turned around and passed that fucking thing to move on to, uh, you know, motion to proceed. And then they went ahead and did a whole bunch of votes on the actual repeal measures themselves. So this thing is moving a mile a minute. And and I'm going to be honest, guys, so much has happened this week. I am finding it just exhausting and almost impossible to keep up with the news cycle. How, how are you guys hanging in there this week? I just want to uh, real quick, just tell a story to, uh, I think that might put this week in more context. Um, You know, my past, you know, job. I was working, doing a lot of money and politics stuff, and I happened to find myself on a panel with Richard Painter, um, who you know was Bush's ethics attorney, um, and now you know has been involved in suing the Trump administration over emoluments and other things. Um, so this was, I think, like May of 2016, um, and it looks like Trump was winning, um, was winning the you know nomination, and he had a chance. And um, so I was talking to him about you know the threat that Trump posed. And, you know, he's talking about how they're going to try with emoluments and things. And then he started talking about how, you know, he liked, he missed, you know, the good old days. Um, So I asked him to clarify what that meant. Um, And he said a lot of things. What it boiled down to was that, you know, before in American politics, we essentially had, you know, we had an oligarchy, uh, you know, of different factions. There are all sorts of different groups of that oligarchy. And generally their interests were aligned you know, more or less for the American people. Um, but what's happened, you know, recently and is, you know, happening quicker is that, you know, because of a lot of different factors, you now have, you know, rogue elements of the oligarchy that are able to you know, gain power. Um, and then the problem is now it's not, you know, it's almost we miss those days. You have, you know, very, um, you know, strange and out there elements of the oligarchy that are gaining power. And I think that's what we see here with Donald Trump. A lot of the stuff that's happened this week that we're going to talk about is crazy all over the place doesn't make any sense but um do we want to give some context on what has actually happened where 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 we are in time as we record this probably should we are currently traveling through a temporal field uh so time is now completely uh relative and there's no way of gauging it anymore um donald trump has encased the earth in sort of a, a of a cosmic dome if you will and so we have been separated from the continuum um, we are in an alternate timeline where a week is actually the entirety of his term um shit happens in in milliseconds uh no one can keep up with it cnn i mean Wolf Blitzer's out there begging people to come on his show because he can't uh, make heads or tails of any of it. So we're going to have to take the next hour here and we're going to we're going to walk through it, Mike, because I don't think we can provide context without just reliving this week in its entirety. Um, so I want you to just you know, dial it back, um, put yourself in a, in a, in a very slow moving uh, time space uh, within your astral plane and relive all the highs and lows that you felt over the last week. Uh, and to begin, let's go ahead and talk about the actual healthcare situation, because that's where we left off um, in the alternate dimension that was last episode. So who wants to bring us up to speed on exactly how the healthcare uh, bill did go down after the motion to proceed? So four different versions of the healthcare bill. Uh, yes, if I if I recall correctly, four different versions of the healthcare bill were voted down in the Senate. 
And and this was followed by, this was in addition to the motion to proceed, right? And the last one of them, so-called skinny repeal, which is essentially the repeal of the mandate and a repeal on, of a medical device tax, um, that failed in a very dramatic fashion. And McCain got all the credit for something that two women had been doing the entire fucking time which is a uh, great uh, commentary on the role of women in the workplace and uh, in Congress. So this, this to, before we dive into to that, and uh, I agree, um, this was a huge unexpected sort of twist, right? Like everyone, it, all of us, I know uh, on this podcast and all of us in our various political groups and, 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 and message boards and whatever had been assuming at this point that this was a done deal. Like the, the Senate had rallied, the Republicans had rallied. They were going to pass this thing 50, 50 with Pence breaking the, the, the tie and healthcare was fucked. And you know, who the hell knows what was going to happen? Like, was the house just going to, you know, take up skinny repeal and pass that directly, even though the Republicans were saying, don't do that. Like it, everyone basically either stayed up late or went to sleep, uh, that night and assumed you know this was this was all done and fucked and then mccain out of nowhere joins uh susan collins and lisa murkowski and votes no and all of a sudden the senate republicans health care bill is dead for the time being and the paradigm has shifted the paradigm has shifted it actually has like i think this is a real paradigm shift why why do you think that though so do we want to get into all that or 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 ryan were, were you about to say something no, go ahead. So, well, let's let's be clear what I mean by paradigm shift. There, I think the paradigm on healthcare at least has shifted. Like, I think at this point, McCain and Murkowski and Collins uh, have been very consistent in their messaging since this vote. If you've listened to their interviews, they've made the same points over and over again. They want to return to regular order. They want you know the bills to be handled in a traditional way. Um, I think that tells us two things. It, it tells us that this this idea of passing this bill uh, via reconciliation, which was you know the Republicans' dirty little trick to pass it with fifty votes, uh, is no longer going to work here. Uh, I don't think there's anything they can give these guys that will actually change that at this point. Uh, I don't think it's a matter of them holding out for for more goodies now. Um, and it's unclear they could even try reconciliation again. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Um, but I think it also tells us that. The idea of killing the legislative filibuster, which is something that President Trump has made a big deal about in the last few days, uh, that's a non-starter as well. I don't think they'll they have the votes for that at all. So I think this this actually means the Senate is going to actually have to try something bipartisan if they're going to pass things. They went so extreme they have to uh, swing back around. Yeah, kind of right. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, know, I, that's I think it is. Yeah, I think they've, they've done a three sixty. We don't think they're actually going to do a bipartisan thing, right? Because no, God, no. All, all, their whole rationale for healthcare was just to slash you know, hundreds. I don't, of, I don't think anything will happen on healthcare. Yeah. If I had to make a prediction on what saying. will happen on healthcare, I think healthcare is done for now. But like, no, it's not dead though. I just really don't feel like it's because there's actually more. There's actually movement in the House Freedom Caucus to revive the conservative efforts for yeah, repeal. No, because they didn't. They didn't want skinny repeal to pass either, right? Like they. Yeah. Now that now that it's dead, they feel some of them at least feel like they can move ahead in a fresh way. But I don't think I don't think there's a legislative pathway to do it. Like uh, there's 
at this point, I don't see. I don't think it's realistic that you get these three people to vote. Like, if McCain died, and what is it, Ducey? Uh, who wait, who's the governor of, of Arizona right now? Ducey. Yep. Ducey. If Ducey appoints someone who would vote yes, then maybe. Um, but you know, McCain seems okay for now. God willing. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't rule. I wouldn't rule it out, though. Um, no, no, I wouldn't rule it out. But like for right now, he seems okay. Um, who knows? Like he's probably going to have to deal with some sort of brain surgery at some point. I mean, not McCain, but just in general, this yeah. dying. I mean, they only need one vote, and yeah. uh, and they they, if they get it. They can lock in, you know, tax cuts for permanently. Well, uh, so this is curious. You know, after this vote was over with, I heard interviews with uh, with. Uh, Lindsey Graham uh, and even Mike Lee and a couple other guys who actually sounded relieved in a weird way. Like they they were not going after McCain and Murkowski and Collins, like screaming, these people are fucking traitors. Because they they rightly thought it was bad policy. Yeah. So does this this embolden them? Like if this comes around again, you know, especially anytime soon to say, come on, this is done. Let's. Well, Graham has his has his own plan actually that he's working on with someone. Yeah, but no one no one gives a shit about what Lindsey Graham has to say. Obviously not. But like, what I'm saying is that it's not really dead. Well. I mean, let's be real here. It, it's never going to be dead. Healthcare in America, because of the vested powers and the money interests that are involved in this process, healthcare in the United States will be debated for, for many years to come um, until such a time that we have a, a single payer public option type system like in place. And that's and that is, uh, I would argue, decades away. Uh, I, maybe you know, some I, I form of can, it is closer, but can we say like the threat level has gone from like red to orange here? Yeah, if we're going to use uh, George W. Bush. <laughs> I think that's that's about right. Let's yeah. uh, harken back to the early aughts. It feels a little comforting, yeah. right? But, but I, I think we should go ahead and uh, get on an aircraft carrier and put a mission accomplished banner above this one. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think this is about that time. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, what, one thing to think about here, just to put it in perspective, is that they, they were a vote away from a generational cut to Medicaid. Yes, um, and they, forty-nine pe- vote, forty-nine senators still wanted to do it. Like that's the thing to remember. Well, so I want to talk. Let's talk about that real quick, though, because that's kind of interesting. Not just the outcome of this, but how it went down. So um, this was not, even though John McCain, as we said, was the uh, the, the 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 defining vote here. Um, this was not a. Uh, a a split house, right? This the Senate was very much the Republicans almost. I mean, they came within one vote of basically passing this. Um, so first off, let's talk about why exactly um, so many of them were on board with something that was objectively uh, just bad policy and and frankly damaging for their chances in the midterms. And, and um, so so many of them who had previously voted against and spoken out against this, like Heller, for instance, and and Capito. It's a passing of the buck like that they were trying to do under pressure, especially these more embattled ones. And like they were begging the house, they were begging their house colleagues to not pass skinny repeal if they passed it. Like the fact that they were still willing to vote for this shitty piece of legislation and even go so far as to beg the other chamber to not pass it really is just. It really speaks to the the astounding failure, like Mitch McConnell's failure to actually legislate. So, yeah, so, and not only that, but I think just speaks to the failure of the democratic process in, in America. That too, yes. Oh, yeah. That, that yeah. overarching concern, yes. I mean, this bill so, is like the, literally the least popular thing of major legislation that we've seen. It's not only unpopular amongst people of Democrats, Republicans, amongst human beings. It's amongst human beings, but also, also amongst special interest groups. You know, listen, billionaires are not human beings. Okay, 
Hey, hey, listen, a lot of billionaires don't like this bill either. Like, well, that's what I'm saying. It's very, yeah. you know, when I led the show up with the rogue elements of the oligarchy. You have like, yeah. a lot of, oh, there's a lot of vested interest that was against this, but there was powerful well, the in- interest that wanted it for you the know, insurance. Reasons that close, you know? The insurance industry itself, the, the, the insurance companies were completely against it. I mean, yeah. the skinny repeal, the, in, in particular, the skinny repeal bill that they tried to push forward, which is the same one that they then begged the House, you know, let's take this to conference. Please don't pass this, which it's fucking anyone's they guess whether they would have. No, they would have passed it. They were, I they, mean, were da- they were daring the Senate to do it. It, it, it. In all probability, knowing Paul Ryan and, and the smarmy fuck that he is, like, yeah, they probably would have passed it and yeah. just been like, oh, whatever but you know the reality is the skinny repeal bill uh would have sent the markets and and this is this is hilarious right because they keep saying how obamacare is going to create this death spiral um but the skinny repeal bill would have actually uh created that almost immediately because all it did was actually negate the mandate but it didn't uh get rid of any of the regulations so you have all these insurance companies who are now uh unable to you know people are no longer required to have health insurance so they can all, all the healthy people can basically hop right off their plan but the regulations regarding the um pre-existing conditions and the uh the price hikes on premiums and things like that are still in place so you suddenly have these insurance agents uh, insurance companies trying to basically cover people who are sick need a, an incredible amount of care and you can't price gouge them um so you basically have to just flatly raise your premiums um it would have created it would have devastated the market within 30 to 60 days it would have been crazy yeah, and the thing is like they honestly didn't give a fuck like they, they yeah they didn't they would have okay. let it pass all right let, let me jump in real fast when we when we when we finished the last podcast, the motion to proceed had failed, uh, and everyone was thinking, oh, this thing is dead, because we had uh, the quote-unquote moderates like Capito, although I don't feel like Capito is much of a moderate, and uh, and Heller, uh, in addition to Collins and Murkowski, and, and was there another, there were the, the crazy conservatives like Lee There's, Rand, there's Rand Paul yelling yeah, about yeah. Um, what he's yelling Voting about. against this thing. Somehow, in between then and like, you know, two days after that, uh, McConnell gets everyone together for this lunch. Trump lobbies everyone, and all of a sudden those votes change. Um, and for for bills that nobody wants, right? Like the this the skinny repeal did not satisfy anyone. Um, but they still changed their votes. So what the fuck happened in that time? No one has answered this question for so me. I can like answer. How- Okay, go for it. Yeah, yeah like what? Their mind. So so Nevada um, Heller. You know, it's been reported that Steve Wynn, who owns Wynn Casinos out there, um, told him that if he didn't vote for it, he was going to fund a primary opponent against okay. him. Okay. Um, so well, that was great. And then, of course, like Trump. Incredibly low approval rating. I think it's in, like, the high 20s or something like that. What's that? Heller has an atrociously low approval rating right now. Yeah, but it speaks to something to think about that, being yeah. threatened by a primary opponent by Wynn and then, you know, a casino billionaire and then Trump. Um, he was more worried about getting knocked out to the right. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of, it wasn't only win, you know, there's a lot of people that wanted to lock in those tax cuts long-term and also have had a long-term goal of slashing Medicaid. Um, that's been a platform on the right. So you, you really, what you had here is you had arm twisting from like some of the most powerful special, special interests, which are, you know, a few of these billionaires, uh, people that have this long-term agenda and they're, opinions are more influential than their the constituents opinions even in the well, it's, a lot of these people 
it's also important to keep in mind that the, the, the breakneck speed of these events and the news is obfuscating the actual reality of what's going on as well. So keep in mind that during when the motion to proceed passed, um, that was right after John McCain had been diagnosed with brain cancer. He had you know valiantly showed back up at the Senate to, to participate. Uh, he gave a, a speech regarding how there needs to be more by we need to do things by the books. We need to do norm, what he called like normal process. Um, and so and then the motion to proceed passed. Now, the assumption from most of the senators at the time, this thing didn't look nearly as grim as it did when the actual bill started coming up, because at the time they said, listen, what we're going to do is we're basically going to go with one of the uh, one of the options we have here. But that includes the BCRA. It includes the um, the full repeal and these other options. And there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of hope that it was going to be one of the, the more uh, gentle ones, if you will, uh, versions, as opposed to the skinny repeal, which is basically the bare bones disaster that ultimately became the final vote. Uh, and so this, there was, you know, I think there was a lot of assumptions that things wouldn't be quite as bad as uh, they were assuming. But keep in mind that when they passed the motion to proceed, they frankly didn't really know what the fuck they would eventually be voting on. Yeah, we didn't know until 1030 yeah, that they're, night. They're... That's a remarkable leap of faith. Yeah. It's quite the leap of faith to to vote, to proceed and like not know what the fuck. Like, it's a, it's amazing that McConnell got his members to like vote on this shit and they actually didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just like, again, it speaks to the breakdown of the democratic process that they did. They wrote it in secret. No one knew the text of it until 1030 at night before they voted on it. So, you know, I was trying to write copy for clients and we didn't know it was in the bill. Um, So, it, you know, democracy has been in trouble for a while now. But I think what we're seeing now at a legislative level with McConnell and these folks is they just don't even keep up appearances anymore. It's like Uh, repeated breakdown of the process, basically. Yeah. Well, and keep in mind, too, that, you know, right now in, in, in the U.S. Uh, Senate and Congress, uh, a lot of our officials are not true politicians. They're people who were elevated due to um, uh, st- the stupidity of voters, basically. And so a lot of these people are just rank and file. You know, they, they basically just operate within the process and they follow party lead. They vote on they vote on party lines. They follow the actual politicians, um, McConnell, Paul Ryan, et cetera, the, 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 the true like architects here who are at work. And that's not to say that that those people are are good individuals, but they're people who understand the system. They understand how to apply pressure and, and, and twist arms and things like that. And so a lot of the senators and congressmen underneath those individuals are basically just doing what they're told. And they're always going to because they frankly, they have no business being in the position that they're in. They're just people who had the desire to run and, and voters are stupid. Yeah. But the question is, you know, why? What are they being told and why? Because uh, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell answer to be someone, too. Um, so that's I mean, that's, of course, always the hard thing to figure out. But um, I think it's like in this Trump era, it's increasingly, you know, it's very obtuse a lot of the time. Who are the real? Can, can we can we agree that Mitch McConnell's cachet has has fallen pretty dramatically as a result oh, yeah. of all this? I mean, you could see it. The moment that McCain says no, Mitch's face goes from like, you could tell he really thought that that skinny was going to pass because as soon as the word no comes out and laughing before it. Oh. His jaw just drops and he looks like he's about to be hit by a truck. Like, I mean, there's this look of just incredible awe. Like he's he's only now fathoming that he could be that he could actually lose here. And he does. It, it It's an incredibly satisfying moment if you are a Democrat or a progressive or a oh, decent yeah. human being. Just it watching was, that little theat piece of poli- political theater. It's amazing. Say what you want about McCain. You have to give that one to him because he could have. You know, you know, and I, yeah, I think there's a lot to criticize with him voting to proceed and allowing it to get this close. But he did, you know, all that criticism. You will say that he set up that moment of Mitch McConnell 
Well, I want to I want to talk about that. But first, I just want to say that uh, fuck this process as as someone who has to edit podcasts, because (laughs) after last week, we were celebrating, obviously, uh, motion to proceed failing. And then I remember watching um, the Senate that night and being like, oh, my fucking God, by the time I get this goddamn podcast live, this fucking thing is going to have passed. And it's going to completely I know we're going to look like assholes. (laughs) We're going to be saying the exact opposite. Uh, And then, uh, you know, McCain's like, no. And I was like, Boom, called it. We win. <laughs> so, we, we won an extended overtime. Yeah, exactly. McCain doing the podcast a solid. But um, yeah, let's thanks. talk. I want to talk about McCain, though, because obviously there's a lot of criticism and a lot of opinions about how this went down. Um, number one, McCain obviously uh, diagnosed recently with brain cancer, which that's just terrible in general and, and grim. But number two, McCain is actually the one who fucking voted on motion to proceed. So he kind of facilitated this process only to then turn around and be the one who actually shuts it down. So What are your thoughts in terms of what was the motivation here? Why did we get a yes vote on motion to proceed if he knew he was going to turn around and vote no on the actual bill? So there's there's two theories that I've that I've heard that are credible. One is that McCain just really likes attention. Uh, and he, he set this whole thing up to, to make himself the story. I don't know if I buy that necessarily. Um, I, I'm, I'm willing to give McCain a little bit of credit here in that by, by doing it the way that he did it here, he not only really fucked over the Republicans when it comes to the, this reconciliation process, which McCain has made clear from the beginning that he did not enjoy, uh, doing this. He, you know, he's a long time Senator. He's a very much a traditionalist, um, like by by killing this bill the way he did by voting for the motion to proceed and then voting it down at the end theoretically this was supposed to stop reconciliation and they would have to proceed under normal order from then on uh and it also killed the bill like entirely like this the narrative has become and mitch mcconnell has even repeated this this idea that it's time to move on uh and if he hadn't voted for the motion to proceed the that might not have been the case anymore like that people may still be trying to to push this but he voted for the other shitty versions of the bill. That's the thing. And like yes, he, did. he didn't even he didn't even do anything that was like actually politically difficult for him because obviously he's on his way out both of the Senate and the world. Yes. But like what Murkowski did is actually really really difficult. Well, so, okay, she, yeah. Credit yeah. credit where credit is due. Yeah. Lisa Murkowski and and uh and Susan Collins. But especially uh, Murkowski are, are, because well, because I mean, she's let, from state. Murkowski won a fucking election as a writing candidate. Yeah, like, exactly. Exactly. She is fine. Mur- there is nothing that they can do right. to threaten her. And so she, she didn't yeah. throw her constituency under the bus and it, she was under a lot of pressure to do that. In fact, like the the coalition that sent her to the Senate was um, Alaskan natives, Democrats, and moderate Republicans. Mm-hmm. And she in in the end did not throw her like native constituents under the bus, as we would expect most Republicans to do. So I have to give her credit there. And, and this business that advantage. Trump threatened her, that, yeah. uh, who was it? Was it Zeller that called her up? Uh, there were two. To- they were threatening, they're threatening to have Zinke block. Uh, Zinke, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And she, she was also threatened with physical violence from two members of Congress. I forget who. Oh, please. that Those idiots. I mean, yeah. but like, but can we talk about the incredible incompetence, though, of the Trump administration that when it came down to the art of the deal, when it when it actually came down to Trump having to t- try to, like, make this thing fly, his like go to solution was like, call her up and threaten her. Well, that's what it worked, <laughs> it worked for Heller, right? Yeah, like, it did work for Heller. It worked for, uh, it worked for Portland. Yeah. Like, Heller. 
you can't uh, threaten in that like lunch. that. Yeah. But it's just it shows the incredible um, simplicity and incompetence of of this administration, though, that their toolbox is as deep as, well, we call people up and threaten them. And if they say, fuck you, then we uh, well, that's pretty much it. We're done. Yeah, we don't have <laughs> anything not, to, not to jump ahead, but like, you know, they just had their chief of the staff who's supposed to be running things. Obviously, clearly has oh. been in the outs for a while. Um, yeah. and is now gone. So this is not an administration. Um, it's not something, it's not an administration that can really plan ahead, right? Cause like, you try to make plans and on certain things that you hope like, you know, old Donnie doesn't pay attention to, you might be able to like squeak through, but when you're doing high profile things that are in the news, he's going to tweet some random shit or, you know, I mean, I, I, give a lot of credit to, to the ladies here, right? Uh, Lisa Murkowski and, yeah. and Susan Collins, Susan Collins, like this probably wins her, her governorship of Maine. Like that, yeah. this is what she wants yep. to do. This is what will win it for her. Um, folks up in this part of the country tend to, to vote really crazily bipartisan, especially when it comes to state officials. Um, even when, you know, they vote for Democrats for, for Senator, they'll vote a Republican for governor. Like, in, in Maine, she will be fine. I, I am well, and let's and it's let's hell to run Oppo on her. I'm telling you that. <laughs> let's be let's be real though. Like they, I, I realize that they were obviously voting um, to their conscience and, and obviously being true to their constituents, which they should be. They should definitely be, um, yeah. you know, commended for and celebrated for because that's fucking rare in politics these days. But I will also say that in the realm of the gamble, they won big here because not only are they some of the the few senators, Republican senators, who actually stood up to these bills over the course of the process, uh, but they ultimately the bill did not pass, and it was a wildly negative bill. Like it was viewed um, negatively by such a vast portion of the country that they they really emerged as as heroes in this thing because they stood their ground and and they fucking won like it's not even like they got steamrolled they they won but that's another reason that mcconnell's failure in this area is so colossal because he didn't even protect his members from a really unpopular vote like he's such a failure now they have this like so many vulnerable members have this shitty vote on their record thanks to him not knowing like and trying to ram ram five bills through a secretive process well, McConnell doesn't give a shit about the other senators, right? Oh, like no, he actually, he actually has has written, that. he's written in the past that his his reason for getting into politics had nothing to do with uh, the people or the country or the process. It was it was personal ambition, um, and even it's even like it gets kind of almost stupid at certain points because he says things like, "Well, once I became a senator, I was like." what's the highest I can get? And so he just said, like, I want to be, you know, majority leader. Like it's as, it's literally as dumb as personal ambition is like what motivates him. And so, you know, McConnell's getting pretty old. He doesn't have that many years left. Uh, I think this for him was really kind of his masterpiece. This was the icing on the cake was to be able to say that he was the architect who brought down Obamacare. And so he pretty much went all in on it. And he said, you know, fuck all these other guys. I don't really care what happens to them after the fact. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, in the scope of his, downfall here uh this is this is devastating for his career i mean he looks uh you know he had built a little bit of a reputation as a kind of like machiavellian figure and uh here he looks completely um incompetent and and, and impotent he, yeah, I mean, he spent uh, all of his capital with his caucus and he breached a lot of trust like you know before before all this went down you had senators saying that mcconnell was double dealing and they didn't trust him here uh and this this having it all fail and blow up in their faces at the end really doesn't help I mean, that's because he's answering to like a small number of people that are pushing this sort of policy that, you know, have power, have power in the Trump administration, that have power um, throughout the Republican caucus and fund IEs and such stuff like that. And, you know, that's where this agenda came from. 
Um, and he, as an employee, essentially had to kind of make it happen. And you know, there's a high degree of difficulty. He didn't get it done. And he should you know take um, hits for that. But I think it, we should remember how hard this was. I and mean, this this is something that was enormously unpopular. Um, that you know, like I said before, not only unpopular amongst people, but interest groups and uh, wide array of actors. And at the end of the day, despite all the criticisms, they got within one vote. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it, it should not be understated that what uh, when, when Mitch busted out all of the tools and when he when he put this thing on the table, he did come terrifyingly close to success. That should not be go without, you know, uh, being given its due. Uh, however, at the same time, uh, he is a horrible human being. Um, the world will be better for him having left it. And uh, and I am tremendously happy to see him fail in this regard. Uh, and in my dreams, I just replay his face going from from gleeful, you know, expectation to to, to, to try to absolutely tremendous failure uh, and disappointment. And I just replay that every night over and over. I actually, actually have a mural on my wall that shows uh, a time lapse of his face changing. Um, and that's it, it, that just gives me a level of comfort and satisfaction that I, I haven't had since Trump became president. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it is a very satisfying video. Can we talk about the mooch? Oh, oh my god. god. Are, are we well, let's that here? before we before we talk about the mooch cuz I do want to move to the White House and I do want to get on to the to the uh season what like 32 of the apprentice that is you know the global the global season of the apprentice we're all now living. Uh so Senate, let's go around real quick. Do you guys what's the next move? Is it, is it dead? Are we moving on? Are we not moving on? Where, where what's the next step um as far as the legislation goes? It's I, not dead for real. It's coming back. I, th- I think f- at least uh, for the rest of this year, uh, this calendar year, uh, I think I think healthcare is dead for now. I don't think we'll see anything bipartisan or otherwise. Like I think healthcare is done for now. Yeah, I don't um, I like my they, prediction, they, but I I think there's a bill in two weeks. It's okay, bill in two Ooh. weeks. I, think I love this I think because I, I well, would, okay. I mean, how do you define I, bill in two weeks? Give, like <laughs> anyone can introduce a fucking another, bill in two weeks. Another shot at like, it, and there's another vote within the next two weeks. You think there's yeah, it makes because, it to the floor? You know. We'll see. I don't, I don't Ryan, know, but I think there's a will to do it. Ryan did do the same thing. Like he did declare it dead, and then it came back in two weeks. <sighs> that yeah, his famous Obamacare is the law of the land bullshit. That's true. Yeah. See, and I love this because in two weeks we'll have uh, another podcast where we can yeah. come back and review Max's prediction. Well, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy, happy to go on the other end of that. I, I, I think that this this particular snake has done bit them way too many times here. Uh, I, I think at this point, if if they try another vote again and it blows up again, like McConnell really will just have to resign. Like it'll be so bad for him. So I no, I don't think it's. I, I think healthcare is done for now. Um, and I think they move on to taxes. Interesting, interesting predictions. And you know, Mike, I I gotta say, I think you are maybe perhaps forgetting, um, or, or rather operating under the assumption that the Republicans are capable of actual learning, which you know <laughs> historically is not true. But we'll we'll see or how it goes. You know, well, the, uh, government is a subjective term. I mean, it's all of this changes if one of those three people like unexpectedly die or have to leave the Senate. Uh, then the calculation changes, but I don't think. Or if Ma- or if McCain decides that he's uh, he's gone ahead and soaked up as much uh, uh, praise and, and credit as he can, and he's just like, yeah, fuck it, pass. <laughs> that would be a that. maverick move. Don't the true maverick. Like maverick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> you know, I love I love the fact that they call him a Maverick because what he actually reminds me of is Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia <laughs> when he fucking screams wild card and cuts the brakes. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, I think he did about as well in school too as Charlie did. So, um, all right, well, let's hop over. Let's talk about let's talk about the administration and, and, and the White House. Obviously, we had a very busy week. Um, Donald Trump has been uh, lambasting on Twitter uh, Jeff Sessions all week. Um, every day, he's got some some new mean thing to say about his uh, little little um, law elf that he Poor hired. Jefferson Beauregard. <laughs> he's uh, so so so. You know, a lot of, you know, he called him beleaguered. He talked about um, how he how he wouldn't have hired him if he had known that he was going to recuse himself from the Russia investigation. Is this is this Trump trying to get rid of Sessions or is this just Trump being a dick? Well, Sessions won't even leave. Yeah, it's definitely Trump trying to get rid of Sessions. He's made it really clear. Like, yeah, that's this is this is not subtle. Trump wants Sessions to resign. He thinks it's how he gets rid of Mueller is by getting rid of Sessions. He is not a subtle person. Like he's never been able to be subtle. Like we, what we see is what we get. Truly, it's really interesting here because of sort of the enemies he makes by doing this, and it might kind of speaks to you know what happened with rents as well. Um, yeah. Going after Sessions is is pretty bold. I mean, Rebecca Mercer, Robert Mercer's daughter, personally picked Sessions to be Attorney General, and um, senators so hate when you go like when people go after other senators, right? Yeah, but then even yeah, this, this is a real truth. People need to understand this. The Senate is actually pretty close. Even Republicans and Democrats together, unless you're Ted yeah. Cruz, like they they have a very very close collegial relationship. Everyone hates Ted Cruz. Yeah, it doesn't matter which party you're part of. Except everyone Ted fucking Cruz. hates but, Ted yeah, Cruz. And, and senators do not like it when one of their own, even on the other party, like is publicly humiliated like this. They don't like it at all. It's definitely uh, true, uh, but it's it also goes beyond that. Um, you know, right after he criticized Sessions for the first time, um, Breitbart had some negative headlines against Trump. Fox News also had people saying negative things against Trump. Uh, yep, that was the first time that Drudge actually. Um, and and keep in mind, Matt Drudge, despite his website being a piece of shit, um, is still wields. Uh, a very scary undercurrent within the conservative media space. His site is responsible for massive amounts of referral traffic to the conservative media outlets. And so you'll see that when something appears on Drudge Report, it typically uh, will suddenly appear on Fox News as well, even if the story hadn't been previously covered. And Drudge was actually also running kind of neutral to negative um, uh, articles as well regarding uh, Trump attacking Sessions. So this is definitely a a turning point in terms of the punditry related to Trump. Yeah, and they, think, he's pissing off, like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but he's, he's pissing uh, off, like, you know, sort of the Republican version of the deep state, so to speak, by, by going after Sessions. Yeah. Yeah, to that point, I was going to say also that, that this is this is actually, yeah, it's a turning point, especially with the uh, the firing or ouster of Ryan's Priebus, is, is that he is operating completely without anyone in the Republican Party in his inner circle, which is really significant. Like He's basically acting like he is his own political party. He has completely removed any kind of establishment influence from his administration. And I think that's really significant because this is the first time that, that there has truly been no one on the inside that is any kind of establishment Republican. And it's not just establishment Republicans. By, by going after sessions like this, and we'll see if he continues, because he might have he might have bitten off more than he can chew there, um, and he has been quiet for a few days at least. Um, but 
by going after Sessions, he's not only they're not only getting off the establishment, but the, the far right as well. Uh, sort of the hard right money. He's also alienating them. Yeah, by it's ironic, them. right? Like because he needs the far right desperately, actually, to remain in power. So you you would think it's it it might. I, I wonder if it's because he sees Sessions as more establishment rather than far right, and it, like doesn't understand I, the implications of going after him. I don't think Trump thinks about that at all. I I think Trump does not think rationally and long term focused. Okay, I don't fair, think Trump yeah, thinks fair. politically like. I think no, he not is, calculatingly. Yeah, he's not calculatingly. Like he's not that he doesn't have that kind of intelligence. Um, I think he actually is very smart in Critical certain thinking very skills. specific ways. But like, I don't think he's like some political Machiavelli where he calculates. Oh, the far right's going to love me if I do this, but then I'll alienate these people. Like he doesn't. I don't think he thinks about that. I think well, he, I, mean, I think he's just trying to survive at this point, yeah, right? This, this, Russia, this is bad for Mueller. Sessions yeah. screwed me over by recusing himself. Like. I, I should get rid of Sessions. And by the way, and, fuck that guy. And like, that he is dumb enough to want to publicly fire Mueller after all of this. Oh, which, he'll do it. Yeah. Which I, I guess, I yeah. That's yeah, no, I agree. It's coming. Yeah. Right? Coming. That's what someone as politic as incompetent as Trump would do is fire Mueller. And you know it won't matter because his fan base doesn't give a shit. His fan base would be happy if he fired Mueller. Like he cares about his fan base. Do you think that he will succeed in getting rid of Sessions? Because Sessions has already said that, you know, he, he basically said Trump can fire me, but I will not resign. Like this, uh, I, I will not basically bow to just negativity and pressure um, willingly. So he's going to have to fire me, which obviously if Trump makes the move to fire Sessions, that will be a, a somewhat of an open declaration of war to the GOP. That's the yeah, and he's already declared war by firing Rince. He would also be left with Rod Rosenstein, who is the one who I believe hired Mueller, right? Like, yeah. he's not going to get rid of Mueller by getting Rosenstein to fire him. Well, you could hire a new attorney general that would fire Rosenstein and then... Well, uh, if, well if they could get approved, which Yeah, is not if they clear. can get confirmed, which it, yeah. uh, isn't I there. Mean, I, I think there's lack of will to confirm a new attorney general, especially they can, they if... There's a recess appointment. Uh, At the moment, not, uh, there's lack... Not if they don't pro forma sessions. Like, they, they're, there are no recess appointments right now. The recess appointments were much more of a, a threat back when travel was a, a major concern where there would ha- there would be uh, congressmen and senators who would who would have to, you know, who genuinely could not make it back to to do the appointment process. I mean, uh, but now, way if, if, I mean, Bush did a bunch of recess appointments and they still had airlines and all that stuff. Then, so um, I don't know. I think all this stuff's unprecedented, right? Like we're talking about the president firing the attorney general, not even for 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 not for investigating them, which would be bad enough. But but for uh, not openly obstructing justice for them, that's like the stated <laughs> reason. <laughs> it's just so the, the current the current chatter that I'm hearing is that Trump somehow moves Sessions over to DHS, right? Um, since he appointed sense. Kelly as his new uh, chief of staff uh, after firing uh, Reince, um, Sessions moves over to DHS. If Sessions even agrees to do that, I don't know. And if uh, the Senate presumably would have to uh, approve that. Um, and then that leaves him the opening to get a new attorney general who would fire Mueller. But I don't think that'll happen. Like, I mean, I isn't don't. that kind of for nothing, though? It's been yeah. stated multiple times by both um, by both the Republicans and the Democrats that in the event that Mueller gets fired, they they will immediately Congress will immediately just reinstate him. Yes, they will. I absolutely think they'll they'll appoint special prosecutor Mueller and give him even further reaching powers than he currently has. 
Like, I, I don't think this is a rational idea of Trump's at all, but Trump is not a rational person. But I Trump think he's operating on survival instincts here. He's dumb enough to fire Mueller. That, that's the in, important thing to remember here. Well, if and when he does, I'm comfortable like he, saying the Trump presidency really will effectively be over. Like, I think if he does that, that'll be it for Trump. Like we will, we will see an unprecedented break with Trump from even you know your your deepest state Republicans. Like it'll be so poisonous at that point. Um, so speaking of breaks, um, <laughs> as was as was mentioned, uh, Priebus, Priebus is actually uh, already out as as of recording this. So we have a new right. we have a new guy. Uh, we have a new uh, sec, um, uh, chief of staff, and new, his name is official John Catcher. Yeah. So I have seen a lot of takes on John. So John Kelly is a general. Um, he's not actually a politician, um, which is an interesting choice for a chief of staff. And there's a lot of discussion. The, the pitch from the administration is that as a general, he's going to kind of like wrangle all these, you know, all these leakers and, and get every get, they even said get the trains running on time, which is kind of terrifying since that's a fascist quote. Um, but so, the, you know, that's kind of where they're building. Do you guys think that there's any scenario where John Kelly is actually empowered to do the job that he just accepted? Absolutely not. No, I mean, I don't I just don't see Trump cleaning up the way he operates like he thrives off of chaos like why there I I don't see him changing his ways to like calm shit down it's it's like he feed he feeds off of it he needs it like I I don't see this like changing things fundamentally in the I, West I saw Wing. plenty of articles essentially saying this right uh Anu that like yeah Reince wasn't the problem no <laughs> Trump is the problem and yeah. Trump doesn't listen to anybody and there's no reason to think he'll listen to Kelly any more than he listened to Reince yeah, exactly, because he's acting like he is his own political party and actor. Well, it's still this this confusion, both with Trump and, and, you know, the American people, that this idea that politics is ever some kind of a of a military regime. Right. And then and Trump hiring John Kelly as chief of staff so kind of dangerous. reflects that he wants he hired a general because he thought, well, this is a guy who's used to having to, you know, corral, um, you know, military personnel and demand loyalty and, and, and kind of organize them around that idea. But the fucking White House is not military. It's not regimented. It's not no one. No one, you know, salutes and says, yes, sir. There is debate and discussion and, and tempers and, and you know, people who don't get along. And that's the and it's not it, it's not it's a professional setting. It's not a military setting. And so this idea that you can take a general and, and somehow expect him to uh, turn the White House into a military or into a regimented type setting is it just it shows the naivety and the stupidity of Trump, frankly. But it's well, really especially telling- in this administration, right? Like, I mean, this is a guy who like, I keep coming back to this that they, nobody wants to call a meeting in the White House because if you call a meeting without the president in it, like let's say you're doing some long term planning about you know how to communicate on a certain issue or we're going to pass forward a certain agenda, while you're having that meeting, the president's walking around somewhere else. Maybe Stephen Miller's whispering in his ear about you know travel bans or whatever it is, and these decisions are happening very, very fast. So they can't even do any planning because you have a person who's leading the organization who's operating off the seat of their pants, who's just, you know, issuing executive orders by tweet without running it by anybody. Who's, who's kind of like what you ban. Having a plan, a backup plan at Homeland Security. I mean, it's not like a, it's a real job, like Homeland Security. But uh, this bringing in of military types to like 
clean things up and just generally inserting like the military into civilian government is, is like quite a slippery slope. And we see this in plenty of other countries where the military is eventually taken over. You know, I know we're not like quite on the level of Pakistan, but it's also like, you know, Pakistan has seen one peaceful transfer of power and the military has, has, I forget how many coups it's been now, but like, do, do you see what I mean here though? Yeah, it it, just, it feels so dangerous to have the military in the white house or well, a general just, in the white house. Even to add on to that, it's a really good point. Um, we had, we saw that on the other side of it too. And something that a lot of us will agree on. I, I agreed with what the generals did here, but when Trump went out with the tweet banning um, transgender folks from the military, um, which obviously is a heinous thing, but he's supposed to be the commander in chief of the United States. And in response to that, the head of the Joint Chiefs essentially put out a statement that said, "Go fuck yourself. We're not doing that." Yeah, that was amazing. Um, which is great. Pretty, you know, I love that. But, but yeah. think about what that means. That's the the head of the military telling the commander in chief, the elected leader of the United States, to go fuck themselves. I mean, that's is that. You yeah, know. and if that breaks down and, and the, there's just a fundamental break between the executive branch and the military, like, where does that leave us? I don't think that that leaves us well, in that, a much better place than Pakistan, to be honest. Well, I mean, frankly, though, it actually is kind of a good thing because the, the reality is that the forces that are aligned here um, are, are it's the world versus Trump. Or rather, it's the world versus Trump's world. So, you know, he has his core of, of, of loyalists who are, are kind of like within his inner circle. But the, this is not the military going rogue um, in and of itself. It's the military going rogue strict, strictly and specifically against the Trump administration. Right. And that's it's an important differentiation because in, in cases where you see this kind of militarization of the government and, and of the administration, that typically happens when the, um, the, 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 the figurehead, the, seat, you know, the, the, the president, the prime minister, whoever it might be, or just the dictator, um, commands an undue amount of respect and authority over the entirety of the military forces. In this case, what we're seeing is actually our military forces saying, you know, we're more loyal to uh, to our, our leaders and to Congress and to the other bodies of the government and not to the executive branch, which while I don't disagree is dangerous, but it's still significantly different than than a military who has um, undue loyalty and 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 um, kind of deference strictly to the uh, a single individual uh, and then this the president but usually what happens in a situation like that is that the military does not have any respect for the democratic norms and institutions or the elected figure is what i'm saying like i don't think that i, I think that increasingly the military has no respect for trump as a, both a commander-in-chief and as an executive it, it is absolutely a breakdown and it is not a good thing by any stretch. However, if I have to pick between the military deferring to Congress or the military deferring to Trump, I would rather they tell Trump to go fuck himself. I mean, let, let's, I mean let's, yeah. let's, let's let's also be clear here. The military didn't actively refuse the order so much as saying we've not gotten anything official. Like all we got literally was this tweet from the president. Like there's actually procedures to follow. There's regulations. We don't to operate on tweets. Yeah, we don't like th this is the military saying we yeah. need more than that. Like we need official direction from the White it's, House in order to change policy. Well, it's just something to watch, I think, in the long term. Right. Like we we, yeah. would ne we never had this anything like this conversation in America um, in any recent history, at least. So I mean, we, we've had situations where the president and the military were not aligned necessarily like Kennedy uh, famously had a lot of conflicts with the Joint Chiefs and with the military in general. But a lot of that was very private, not public, like. 
you know, we we're seeing this on a stage that you're probably right. We've never seen before. It's a little bit ironic that Trump's preferred method of communication to the public continues to be Twitter. And just this week, an article came out where Twitter had to announce that they're actually losing um, they users. Zero users. Yeah, they're not actually a growing social network anymore, which means that the president of the United States is now like. I just picture him like on MySpace, like (laughs) updating his MySpace profile and being like, oh, by the way, folks, all the uh, trans people not allowed in the army. Sorry. He's still trying to to (laughs) really confused why it's not working anymore. Twitter remains a mouthpiece, I think, for a lot of people, a mouthpiece and a breeding ground for neo-Nazis and the alt-right. Like that's that's what Twitter is now. And that's that's honestly Twitter's own fucking fault. And laser reporters. Don't forget that. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. Let's not forget those. Um, but so, please talk about the mooch. Like, yeah, it's oh, yeah. it's time it's time to bring in the real man of the hour. Um, God who has, we talk about his New Yorker rant. I want to talk all about the mooch. So, anyways, so let's let's go ahead and just so Ryan's Priebus, um, uh is obviously out. So is Sean Spicer. Sean Spicer has resigned. Poor um, Spicer. And now we have we have an ex- an exciting new uh, Trump loyalist on deck. Um, who wants to talk about the who loves the mooch? just the worst person <laughs> what's yeah. funny is that he actually has an interestingly he ha- funnily i was reading on his background and he actually has a good amount of credibility with like you know the elite financier class right but like he's he's basically stuck himself as he stuck his neck out on the line for trump at this point and like well, he was so- actually one of trump's earliest supporters too well, so, okay, Anthony Scaramucci, a.k.a. The Mooch, and for the record, it, it, he calls himself The Mooch and often talks about himself in the third person as The Mooch. So he's kind of got this, like, alter ego in his head. Like, he actually was talking to a New York Times reporter. Uh, I think it was Lizza, I think, right? No, New Yorker, New Yorker reporter. Yeah, it was Lizza. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so he, he gets him on there, and he actually at one point defends himself, and he says, like, you know, listen. Uh, yeah, he says, listen, The Mooch has only been on the job a couple weeks. <laughs> So he describes himself as this other character. <laughs> so this guy, he's, he's like a, a character. He's like the Fonz, essentially, like the manager, mid-season right? addition to the Trump show. And yes. so he he goes up there. They introduce him. He has like one press conference where he sounds like semi-normal. Um, the next day, he's like leaking things about wanting to fire Sessions and like confirming obstruction of justice things. And then, you know, of course, he goes home, probably has a few drinks and calls Ryan Lizza of the New Yorker and Max, let me stop you real quick. Was, uh, so it's, it's been, he, he called the FBI on rights, right? Like, well, that's true too. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you do yeah. That? There's too much going on. We do there. need, we do need to inject here though, that, uh, the mooch has a not so secret cocaine habit. That's been widely yes, rumored and discussed. True. So it probably wasn't a few drinks. It was probably oh a few God, lines. I uh, I've had that either. confirmed like from a friend of a friend thing about the mooch. I don't, I don't want to get sued or anything on you know the wide reach of this podcast, but yeah, that's probably true. Um, and, you know, yeah, this guy, yeah, like like Mike said, you know, he called the FBI on the chief of staff. Um, he, uh, so in this interview, um, for, first... Incorrectly, he, mind you, correct, because... Yeah, first he starts yeah, off this interview. He starts off this interview by, um, you know, asking Ryan Lizza to give up his source uh, on, um, you know... Threatening some him. Threatening to fire yeah. everyone. Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna. He's like, if you don't give up your source, I'm gonna fire everyone in the White House. Like, like Ryan Lizza cares that he's gonna fire anyone in the White House, and like, what a crazy threat that is. 
Then he tries to appeal to him to do it by saying that he's not like Steve Bannon, who, quote, wants to suck his own cock. Oh, I, I was hoping someone would bring that line up. That was the most amazing line. <laughs> so, so now not only are they like, you know, they're only like, sub, you know, Trump's going after Sessions and Bannon, but, you know, he's like insulting him like that and uh, against his colleague. Um, yeah, I mean, this guy, this guy is really... Really something. Well, and what's amazing about about all of this too is number one. So not only did he he did he uh, blame Reince as basically saying that that guy is the leaker and he has got this huge issue with Priebus. Um In particular, the thing he was mad about was um, the uh, financial disclosures, uh, the Mooch's financial disclosures. But the thing was, it came out later that those are public publicly available. Like that's not leaking because those are not confidential. So you're angry about public information that someone just happened to get, like a. You know, a reporter got bored and just dug that up and happened to look at it. Like, that's it. So he's first off wrong about this being a leak. Yeah. And second off, after he talked with Liza, um, and Liza basically proceeded to just dump this entire interview online and say, oh, look at all this shit the guy said. And then he gets all angry and he's like, well, I didn't realize you were going to publish all that. And he's like, you didn't even ask me for confidentiality. You just him. fucking called me and started ranting. The communication Yes, and but then he called further when Lizzo was on CNN or some shit. He called into the show to talk some more about the tweet he deleted about Ryan's being the leaker. And, and let it be said, this is the guy who wasn't fired. The guy who told his colleagues. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, and then remember, remember Trump dumped on Ryan's again for not defending himself. Yeah, little genius, Redsy. Oh, I could, I could totally see how Trump just loves this guy. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. This guy speaks Trump. There's even that amazing video that that's gone around showing they have the same hand gestures and uh, <laughs> speaking style. Have you seen this on him? No, uh, no, I have not. I'll have okay, to go. I'm gonna, I'll, 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 I'll dig this up. You guys, yeah, talk. please, please do. Well, the mooch. I mean, the mooch fundamentally is he is just another version of Trump. He's a he's a New York City um, finance guy. He runs a hedge fund. Um, and the whole reason he's getting involved here is it came out in those financial disclosures that he's trying to sell uh, part of his holdings in one of these funds uh, off to a uh, Chinese company. Uh, and so I don't remember what the name of the company is, but basically he's trying to basically offload uh, some assets of his and it has to be approved through the Treasury. And so he by doing that, by basically working for Trump and making Trump happy and basically placating him, he can get that sign off uh, that for, for him to basically dump this whole thing. And it, it's I mean, his cut ends up being in the like hundreds of millions of dollars. So he has a serious financial conflict of interest in taking this job in the first place. Although at this point, what in the Trump administration is not? a conflict of interest uh, again like trump just just to hammer home your point this guy is just unbelievable uh, it I, I, really so we, adds to that mob rule feel to the white house so what we've got now so spicer's gone there's a uh you know there's a long-term gop figure uh previous is gone there's another high-ranking you know the former uh, uh director of the rnc we've got a lot of establishment figures dropping like flies right now in the trump white house and we also have jeff sessions who is currently under fire uh, and it looks to be being pressured to resign 
what do you guys think the end game here is this is this trump kind of back to the wall trying to like insulate himself is this him trying to fundamentally break from the gop where where is i mean i know we we all kind of agree that trump has no long-term strategy but in the moment in the moment to moment there is a trend here of of gop and establishment figures leaving the administration right now so what is the uh the current kind of uh standard protocol i think he has no victories under his belt yeah this is true um, He's going back to the hits, I think. You know, this is what worked out to get him into power was, you know, attacking Republicans. And yeah, that's what that, worked. yes. And in some ways, I think this is also simpler than that. This is Trump surrounding himself with people that he actually likes and that think like him and talk loyalists. like him. And yeah, loyalists. He's like the people that the he actually trusts. That's really yeah. important. Like, he's really literally purged the administration and. And in, in installed loyalists. I mean, Ron, Ron was dictator. the the establishment guy in the administration. This was the guy that was supposed to make establishment Republicans feel more comfortable with Trump because he would be babysitting and and yeah. by all accounts he really tried. He would rush into meetings and follow Trump around on his trips. And by the way, chiefs of staff they don't do that. Chiefs of staff are not supposed to be with the president at all yeah. times. They're supposed to be in the fucking White House running the show. And Ryan's- it was widely reported that Priebus had basically been completely marginalized yeah. out of what the chief of staff role actually is supposed to be and put into some kind of, you know, chief he had that no title. Staff, they said. Yeah, they yeah he had the title, no but none of the authority. And apparently that's still going to be the case. Like, Scaramucci is going to be reporting directly to Trump, not to Kelly. Like, I'm sure nothing that's important in that regards. So, but anyway, no, I think this is Trump, like, just saying, I don't trust any of these people. I just want to be around the people that I like and that I trust. He's just retreating. Yeah, he's retreating. Yeah, he's retreating he's absolutely, yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, yep. exactly. He has nothing to show for the first six months of his presidency, and it makes complete sense that he would he would do what he's doing right now, which is purging. He's, he's done more than any president except for Lincoln. And yes, oh, oh, yeah, and and he crucially, this is this is where the the um, pair. Uh, what is it? Parable? I forget what the what the term is. The scorpion and the frog. Like he is the scorpion. Look at how many. Look at how many people have had their political careers destroyed in Trump's wake. Yeah, I think the real question here is: Will since Frederick Douglass has been making such a big impact recently, oh, yes. you know, will he be appointed? <laughs> Keep waiting for that. Yeah. So on that note, um, I think we need to go ahead and, and call this an episode. We can immediately try to rush to get this thing out before uh, something invariably. By the time this hits, they will have passed uh, health care reform. They will have completely repealed Obamacare. There will Jeff be Sessions a new health care system. Jeff Sessions gets fired. They shut down the Mueller investigation. Uh, Mueller is then reinstated by Congress. He drops a huge uh, document report that basically outlines that Donald Trump not only colluded with Russia, but is actually just Vladimir Putin in makeup uh, and a wig, and the entire country is in chaos. So that'll be probably Monday afternoon. And then we nuke North Korea Tuesday. So, So real fast, before we go, quick predictions. Does Trump actually sign the Russia sanctions bill? Yes. I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I think so. I think despite him fighting with the GOP right now and and this kind of like antagonistic uh, behavior and relationship he's got, I think that he's going to cave on this one only because of how much flack he's got about Russia and the Mueller investigation. I don't think he wants to give any more reason for people to suspect him with regards to Russia. And they really tied his hands to Congress. I mean... 
It's kind of so hard. They, he's going to have to sign a bill giving him less power than he had before. Yeah, That's which amazing. is which is amazing. Let's actually That's take amazing. stock of that for a second. That this was a bipartisan effort to curb Trump's power. So I don't, I don't know if he signs it. I mean, I think uh, you know all logic would say that he'd have to, but, uh, but I think, <laughs> honestly, I think he probably will, but uh, he might not. Logic doesn't really rule the day anymore. So especially when it's like affecting his uh, perceived potence or whatever the hell's going through that oh, yeah. damaged mind of his on a daily basis this is really funny really funny what do you mean I'm funny it's, it's funny you know it's a good story it's funny you're a funny guy what do you mean you mean the way I talk what it's just you know you, it's, you're just funny it's you know the way you tell the story and everything funny how I mean what's funny about it Tommy, no, you got it all wrong. He's... Oh, oh, Anthony. He's a big boy. He knows what he said. What'd you say? You're right. Funny how? Just, what? Just, you know, you're, you're funny. <laughs> you mean, so? man, let me understand this, because I don't you know. Maybe it's me. I'm a little fucked up, maybe. But I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I amuse you. I make you laugh. I'm here to fucking amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? I'm not just... You know how you tell a story? What? No, no, I don't know. You said it. How do I know? You said I'm funny. How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. Get the fuck out of here, Tommy. <laughs> you motherfucker. 